Hello, hello. Oh my God, I don't know if <laughs> if the recording just caught that little tiny meow in the very, very like first second of the recording, but I really hope it did because my cat said hello to you at the same time I did. <laughs> so hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Fuck Yourself Happy. I am your show host, Hannah Spanky, and if this is your first time listening, Probably a weird episode to start with. You should backtrack a little bit at least and go one back to part one because this is about to be a part two episode. (laughs) And if this is not your first time being here, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for coming back. I'm so happy to be in this space with you. Thank you for being here. All right. So the story that I'm picking back up right now is the recap, sort of tell all of my last long-term relationship. We were together for two years and we went through a conscious breakup that took place over about three or four months in the beginning of this year, 2023. So in part one, (laughs) which you should have listened to if you're listening to part two now, in part one, I thoroughly recapped our coming together story, like our falling in love and coming together because we met in a very unorthodox, unexplainable, um, mystical, magical type of way. He was on the other side of the country. I was in California. He was in New York. Um, Long story short, if you would like the long version, go listen to part one again. Long story short is there was a lot of detailed effort that I put into recapping that first part of the relationship But now we're going to kind of change cadence, change the pace of the timing here. Because that first episode, part one, was an hour long or so. And we covered the first two months of this two-year long relationship. All right, so we're going to shift gears here to finish up the last (laughs) 22 months of the relationship. And then on to the breakup. Okay, so... Where I left you last time, the cliff you've been hanging on since then is after two months of virtually falling in love, a couple spectacular events that I recapped in part one that happened throughout those first two months led to Johnny moving across the country from New York by himself with with his shit in a suitcase to me in San Diego, in California, to move in with me, like, for real. (laughs) He came across the country with nothing but a backpack and a suitcase, literally a carry-on. I don't even think he checked a bag. And he came to me in San Diego to the apartment that I had there at that time. And the plan was to live together. (laughs) From that moment on, the plan was to just live and be happily ever after because the first two months were so fucking incredible. And towards the end of those two months, we did face our first real challenge that really, like it was our first real challenge as a couple um, in this new connection. But it was also, I'll speak for myself here at least, I I can't say this for him, but for me at least, it was also like what felt like a first real conflict for me that was like dealt with in a completely healthy, amicable, respectful, all the way to resolution kind of way. Because in past relationships before this, 
I had some awareness, you know, so this is what, this is, this was my Achilles heel then. I had a lot of knowledge about how to communicate in relationships and not a lot of embodiment. I didn't have a lot of practice and actual embodied wisdom. So my like knowing doing gap was fucking huge. (laughs) That was like a Mount Everest fucking crevasse. Like (laughs) what I would say you should do when it comes to conflict and handling shit is absolutely not what I would actually do because I didn't have the capacity for it at that time. But then at this point with Johnny, like we had our first run in with conflict that was like very confronting for both of us. And we faced it fully, like our emotions of it, we faced it fully versus turning it into some fucking story and game and blame, blame you, blame me type of bullshit that it had always been before. So by the time Johnny decided, we decided that he was coming across the country to move in, even though we had only spent like three hours in person together and a very like (laughs) in a vacuum type of three hours because I was stoned on another planet. Like it was not an accurate experience for him to meet me. And then it was also in a weird setting, like, very first encounter in the back of a fucking car in an airport parking lot. Like it was just it was just kind of kind of quirky. And so like even though we had only been in each other's like presence aura for real for a couple hours, we had been through like a depth of healing and like I don't know, maybe healing's a strong word. We had gone through something deep enough together, a shared experience emotionally that we trusted it enough to jump into it. So I'm not even going to give you any advice on that. (laughs) On when I think you should move in, when I think you shouldn't move in, because no, you know, I I should give you advice on that because that's what you're fucking here for, right? Is for my perspective on things. Maybe not what is in a textbook written down somewhere is the perfect way to do it, but what I think, right? So That's another question I get a decent amount when I work with couples is like, when should we move in together? Has it been too long? Is it weird that we don't live together yet? Did we move in too soon? Is that going to ruin things? Like, um, how can we prepare ourselves for that? How can we backtrack now that we jumped into it and really fucking found ourselves in waters we could not swim in? Like, a lot of questions I get around living together. And my, like, one one thought is to each their own, for sure. Like, it's really, 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 really fucking important for this kind of decision and all decisions that you make that are life-altering, but especially in a relationship where it involves another person's life and yours at the same time. Like, that's important as fuck. The bottom line is that it is so important for you and anyone else involved when making an important decision like that, to know what your personal threshold for risk is. Like, you've heard me say this before. I am an advocate of rose-colored glasses to a certain degree. I really am. Like, we have an abundance of shit in this world that is not within our control. And the small sliver of shit that is like our attitude or our perspective or the way that we choose to see things and handle something, I 
more often than not will suggest a borderline toxic level of positivity because that is what I see is necessary sometimes to kind of like balance the weight of the world that we're living in. You know, it's okay to be a little bit delusional when it comes to your optimism and your hope and your belief in things because that's the only way you'll ever fucking get there is by believing you can, you know, and that's true for everything, <laughs> like everything in life. But when it comes to dating and moving in together and when to get married and all of those types of monumental moments, you have to be able to look at both parts of yourself, the part of yourself that is maybe a little delusional, maybe a little fucking crinky crazy, okay? I'm, I'm going to support that. I'm here for it. <laughs> you can tell me about your fantasy of being rescued as a fucking mermaid and taken away on a white seahorse and off into the distance you go and like you're going to be happy ever after. I'm uh, okay. I can get on board with that. And that's one part of you. There's another part of you that at this point in your adult life has to be able to recognize that like that's not how the world works. <laughs> you know, so I encourage you to hold both of those things at once. They're not mutually exclusive. Like they don't they don't I mean they are mutually exclusive. They don't cancel each other out. So it's not like you're actually going to ruin something by diving into moving in together with a little bit of delusion. I don't believe that. I think it's totally possible for it to work if you jump into it slightly recklessly, but with the awareness that you don't know what you're getting, you know, that's the risk tolerance that I'm talking about. Because if you're like all goo goo gaga, let's do it, babe, diving into deeper levels of connection, commitment, permanence in each other's lives, then I don't think it's as important as people make it to need to know everything. It's really not. But this is, this is what it comes down to. It's like pick your poison. You either can double down your efforts on needing to know everything, trying to mentally control and assess the situation before you take action. There's probably a lot of, a lot of uh, benefit to that approach. Those people probably don't go through like f- four divorces in their lifetime, you know? <laughs> So it's like you can either choose to double down on the skill sets needed to make an assessment you feel good with. So that means being patient. That means effective communication when the pace at which things are going is like on a different page for you or for them. And then the other option that you have is not doubling down on what quote-unquote needs to be known before you do things like that kind of just running into it blazing fire but with full awareness and acceptance that you do not know what you're getting okay it's like when you run into the burning building it might be for something that feels really exciting, but like you don't know how long that building's been on fire. You know, you don't know if it's like just gone up in flames and it's exhilarating and you can tolerate it for a while before you're actually at risk, or like if you are running into something that's on its last legs and <laughs> it was more of like a firework rather than like a real fire and 
you're going to learn the hard way through experience. Like, I don't think either one of those approaches is better or worse. But how it impacts you in your life can be better or can be worse depending on how much you honor your own risk tolerance. Okay? There was a whole bunch of minutes for me to say, don't do anything you can't fucking handle. (laughs) That's the point. Don't do anything you can't fucking handle. Okay, back to the story. Johnny and I, he moves in, and we could not handle it. (laughs) I'm going to be straight the fuck up with you. We could not handle it. So he got to me on June 7th, and he was there with me. We lived together for two months. So eight weeks of falling in love, completely removed from each other, and then eight weeks of living right on top of one another, back to back. So over the course of those two months, I won't recap it all in detail because the gist is that both of us went into it a little too delusional, a little too rose-colored glasses, a little too hopeful, without the proper like internal resources for each of us to navigate what might come up. And so there was a lot of shit that came up, of course, um, naturally. I think if you put two human beings, regardless of their connection, in a shared space together after spending no time together and said, here you go, now you live together, not even counting the romantic element, like that would bring about conflict at some point, probably in some form. You know, so with Johnny and I, um, one of our biggest issues to start with was sex, actually, which was hard on the relationship. And I want to be super clear. Our sex life, so both of these things are true at the same time. Our sex life throughout the whole relationship was satisfying, speaking for myself at least. I was happy with our sex life. I was happy with it. I was content. And at the same time, our sex life was a consistent point of conflict throughout the whole relationship for different reasons at different times. And there would be chunks of time, months on end, when it would be kind of dormant and everything would be really, really good in that department. And then the same thing or a slightly different version of the same issue would pop up again. So when he first got to me, This is really important for people who have done the long distance thing or are doing the long distance thing or like are just curious about that. This even applies to not doing long distance, but doing a connection with somebody locally and like spending a lot of time when you first connect, getting to know each other, not in person, you know, maybe like talking on the phone or texting or or FaceTime or whatever. We did so much of that. Johnny and I did so much talking like that over the first two months. And I will tell you from my lived, learned experience, there is not enough talking in the fucking world to actually compensate for learning each other's physical bodies. That's it. You can describe in detail, like, like a textbook, instruction step by step by step to the most minor, minor fine-tuned detail, how and what and when and why you want something sexually, 
And that still will not be enough to guarantee. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but that will not be enough to guarantee that you and the person, the other person, like mesh, gel, connect, absolutely obstacle free. And this again is like what I said before about conflict and communication. This is that knowing doing gap, you know? So when you're starting a connection with somebody and you're excited about it, be excited about it. Be delusional a little bit. I am, I want to fan the flames of your fucking hopefulness always and be mindful, be mindful about how much you're holding the door open to like create this version of who you think the person is that might actually be like bigger than your investment in feeling who that person really is through the time you spend together okay now this doesn't mean that you can't get to know somebody thoroughly without an in-person component you absolutely can we fell in love that way i believe love is sustainable that way actually but my point is that your mental emotional and physical connections spiritual, all the different types of connections that you'll have with a romantic partner, do not all translate to one another, okay? And that's something that I think every couple has learned in one way or another, but whether you're conscious of it or not makes all the difference. Like if you're running into sex issues, which I'm talking about right now, and a lot of people do, And it's like the stereotypical, like, oh, he wants to have more sex than she does. And he feels rejected and she feels like he doesn't care about her. All she was wanted for is sex, blah, blah, blah. So you see how like the physical connection is like sacrificed almost because of how oblivious we tend to be about how interconnected all those things are. Mental, physical, emotional, spiritual When one of those wires gets crossed the wrong way, everything else stops working too. So when Johnny first got to me, we hit a fucking wall, like right away, trying to seamlessly blend our physical part, our physical connection into all the rest of our connection that was so solid. And it was difficult, I think, because of how solid the rest of our connection was, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive, you'd think like, huh, if you have such a great connection, then the learning process with sex should be easier or better. But it kind of bit us in the ass because we both had this like, idyllic fucking romanticized idea of how it was going to go. And both of us had a huge blind spot to taking it very personally when it didn't go that way. Because everything else was so wonderful and rainbows and butterflies. And so it was like, I I don't know. I'm just picturing like a really sad kid. Like you get to Disneyland, you find out it's the one day of the year they're fucking closed or something. Like that's how it felt. Just like, what? Like there's no way this is our downfall, you know? So... All of this first initial sex issue got fixed, quote unquote fixed, in the first like three days or something that we were together. It was just like a massive amount of miscommunication the very first or maybe second time we had sex. 
which was very quick into him getting to me in person. Um, it might've been the first day or the second day. I don't know. But by the first week being over, we were good. We were totally good. We were in our groove. We had our shit going. We were, we were good. We were happy. Sex was amazing. So that was the first like real obstacle. And then the second big obstacle over our time there, two big obstacles, one for him, one for me over the two months that we lived together in San Diego was his shit that came up was a lot of like depression and victimhood stuff around feeling like his whole life revolved around me and that it like needed to. Like he moved across the country with none of his stuff, none of his friends, none of his connections, no job, no anything. Like he had some money put away and that was why he was able to do it. But as far as purpose goes and feeling that, especially as a man, he didn't have any of it when he came to me. And so right away, I became that purpose and the relationship became that purpose. And so then anytime something was slightly off or not perfectly smooth, it would negatively impact him super deeply. Like he would take it personally, like his whole purpose was gone. And that turned into depression. It turned into this like hopelessness, this feeling that like he doesn't have anything to live for, wound him up, which wound him up scrambling for jobs that like he would have never sought out otherwise, but he did just to have something to do. And then like being in environments that he didn't enjoy, adding on to him feeling this like burden of of living. <laughs> like It was a lot. Okay. It was a lot for him to go through all at once, not expecting it at all. And it was a lot for me too, not expecting it at all either. Cause I'm thinking I have this apartment, I have this space. We have two bedrooms, two bathrooms. Like one, the other bedroom was my office. It's not like it was his bedroom, but it's like, you know, there's enough space here for us. Like he loves the animals that I have. Like this, this is going to be seamless. It's going to be great. Easy. So while all that shit was coming up for him, what was coming up for me, and then we were just triggering each other back and forth with this kind of a dance back and forth. And this is very, very characteristic of a conscious relationship for your shit to get brought to the surface like no other. Not because of toxic drama. Do not confuse those two. Not because of toxic drama, but because on a soul level, you recognize an experience of safety that you haven't had before in other relationships. And so all of your bullshit feels safe enough to come out. And it's coming up to come out, guaranteed. So having that consciousness as it comes up, letting it come up and come out, without getting lost in the sauce through that process and turning it into something that is a story or means something's bad or blaming your partner or whatever. Like that is what conscious relating is. That's it. (laughs) It's the understanding that the highest expression of romantic partnership is to grow and experience love in ways that we can't go to on our own. That's, that's what I believe, 100%. It's like 
romantic conscious conscious romantic relationship that's healthy um to me it's like a squared it's like a little two you know a little exponent squared to whatever journey you're on with healing with self-love with growth with career with personal development of any kind it is amplified and expedited by your relationship and that's why who you choose to be in a relationship with is so fucking important (laughs) to your life (laughs) um and that's what that's the difference between a conscious one and an unconscious one is just every day maybe 150 times a day if needed reminding yourself that this is something you're choosing for the purpose of your highest good which is ultimately for the purpose of the highest good of all that sacred spiritual approach to relating is the lens that I live from. Is it always that eloquent and sacred feeling? No, but that's how I see relationships. So I just want to note that, that like conscious relationships, healthy relationships do not mean problem-free. They actually mean quite the opposite usually. But the difference between a problem-free, I mean, a not problem-free conscious relationship and a not problem-free unconscious relationship, unhealthy, is that when you're doing it consciously, both people feel forward motion and more connection after conflicts versus feeling more disconnection and more stagnation or dead weight after conflicts in your life. That's a big determining factor. So reflect on that as you will and do not fall into the bullshit trap of like romanticizing glitzy glam conscious relating because of some fucking couple that like talks about their deep throat love and fucking expansion portals and bullshit on Instagram all the time. Like, yeah, that's part of it. And this is also part of it. What I'm talking about every fucking part of you that you do not like and maybe don't even know coming to the surface to be known, to be heard, seen, listened to, felt, approved of, accepted, integrated. That's what it means. (laughs) Then once you get through those chapters, then you can take those fucking highlight reel photos for Instagram and like, you know, suck each other's dicks on the beach and stuff and like talk about how amazing conscious relating is. (laughs) Okay, so... In this sort of like underworld portal that we were both in and didn't know we were stepping into at the time. (laughs) While Johnny was having this like existential depression come up. I was. And for one more layer of detail here, he was third. He had just turned 31. So he's like just finishing up his first Saturn return. He's coming into his 30s as a man. He, in his life at that time, was, like, coming to the end of a long-term relationship with his dad with, like, a working business type thing that, like, now he was going to be going his own separate way and figuring his own shit out. So, like, the theme of his life was, like, uncertainty. And in the middle of that, he moved across the country (laughs) with no plan other than to be in love. And start a life, whatever the fuck that ended up looking like, with me. So, like, I feel like that's important to know for any men listening. 
to really empathize and relate to like what he might have been going through during this time when all of this shit was coming up in the relationship because in his life outside of me it also felt like everything was falling apart so this was just like one more spinning plate in his life and for me him like crumbling in that way but like trying not to but doing it anyways but trying not to because he didn't want to be the burden for me and like that whole story playing out it was so hard for me because what it brought out in me was my own victim stories my own victim stuff around feeling like I can't wish you could see my air quote fingers I can't live my life the way I want to in a shared space I can't do what I need to do because he's there. And none of that was true. Literally none of that was true. Like if I had four hours worth of calls and was like, hey babe, I have four hours worth of calls. Can you be quiet for four hours? Or can you go, you know, take the dog on a walk, go do something for four hours. Like that was no issue at all. But because of my own internalized, like my needs don't matter type of stories, because of my own inner victimized victimization, I was selling myself without even hearing the words because that's how deep it was. I was selling myself on the idea that I was a burden to him by needing him to accommodate me in my space, you know? And so I was telling myself the story that it was like too much to ask for me to have my needs met and then building resentments. Him coming up with the story that it was too much to ask for him to have his needs met which was building up this like like futility, this hopelessness. And we were, I keep seeing this mental image of just like treading water. We were just treading water so hard. And we were holding hands the whole time, treading this water. Like there was no point in those first two months together when we were like, all right, we need to break up. Like there was no point when that was that was talked about, but towards the end, there was a discussion or two around him moving ba- out, him moving back to New York. And we both felt really, really, really clear that we did not want to break up and that him moving back to New York didn't change anything about our relationship status other than location. That's it. Like it would just make us long distance instead of local and that's the only thing that would change with the intention being we both have a super clear like a painfully clear (laughs) look at what we both have to work on that we seemingly can't or like can't can't reasonably do it in each other's presence like this we need our own space we need our own time to kind of allow the shit to come up that we're both going to trigger in each other and have our time and space away to kind of retreat to go deal with those things integrate it a little bit come back together and we made the conscious commitment to doing that as partners he had bought a van a a minivan it's a sick-ass minivan too it's really cool he bought this van when he was in san diego in those two months and at the end of july i believe it was the last weekend of july maybe first weekend of august so it was like right at the two-month mark He left and he drove across the country by himself. 
he flew to me and then he drove back with the stuff he came with, a couple things he had bought, and just him all the way back to New York. Took like five days to drive across the country and we just continued on. We picked up right where we left things off. Like our relationship was, it still felt seamless, but it was like at, in a more real, deeper way than it was before we had that in-person two months together, obviously. You know, we had that physical layer of our connection was more integrated. And so everything else was deeper. And it was really nice. It really was. And so this was August 2021. And then from August 2021 to the following April... So over the next eight months, seven, eight months, we did back and forth trips and we spent probably, mm, I would say three months total out of those eight months together. So it was not that bad. It really wasn't that bad, especially both of us being very independent people. Like it really was not that bad. Um, I actually enjoyed it because then we always had this thing to look forward to. You know, was I going to New York? Was he coming to California? We went to Mexico together at one point. We went to Kentucky at one point, which is fucking hilarious because (laughs) the reason we went to Kentucky this time, like, doesn't even matter. And it was super random and, like, never – the plan never came to fruition. But we ended up taking the trip anyways. We're in this, like, cabin in the woods, hills have eyes type of shit for fucking four days or something (laughs) in the middle of winter Kentucky for no goddamn reason and then to our to both of our surprise three months later ended up moving to Kentucky but we'll get to that part so (laughs) we did a lot of back and forth for the next you know seven eight months and it was really nice but I remember the Kentucky trip actually was the last like in-person weekend prolonged amount of time we spent together before I moved across the country to him and I remember that time specifically when we left because when we left from that trip in Kentucky he flew home to New York I flew home to San Diego so we left like we didn't travel together I was flying home just like secretly crying does anybody else love a good fucking cry on an airplane like I love crying on airplanes it's it's the best (laughs) so I was crying on this airplane, looking out the window, like it's a whole emo moment, you know, it's a whole scene. And I remember feeling this shift in my body, like, oh, I miss him. Like, I actually want his body to be around me more than it is. Like, I, it was this super lucid moment on the flight back home, thinking like, now things are ready. Now things feel different where I actually want to be an equal participant, a team player in navigating whatever might come up with an in-person like living together situation. So like finally I felt fully clear that, okay, after having learned what we learned with our first attempt and consciously working our way back through all that, I feel like we're ready. And he was at the same point. And so April, April 1st, 2022, my lease ended in San Diego. And so 
but Johnny still needed to be in New York for the next couple months over the summer to help his dad with the last piece of the stuff they were doing for work together. So Johnny flew to me. This is how fucking good of a man he is. I want to just gas him the fuck up because this was incredible. Like, I can't even believe he did this. So he flew across the country to me in San Diego. He rented a minivan there. Not the one that he bought that was now in New York. But in California, he flew to me, rented another minivan. And we packed it all up with all of my shit. We packed my car with all of my shit, which is not much because... I have a little car and a bunch of fucking animals. So all my pets fill up my car, basically. And then for four days, Johnny and I caravanned across the country with four cats (laughs) driving from San Diego to rural Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. And whenever I tell this, people are like, what the fuck? How'd you end up in Virginia? (laughs) So let me tell you, I am a master fucking manifester when it comes to Airbnbs. I just am. And I believe I am because I believe I am. You know what I'm saying? So like that's a lesson in itself. Whatever you say you are, you fucking are. Whatever you say you are with conviction, you fucking are. I am a master manifester when it comes to Airbnbs. So I have four cats. So renting an Airbnb anywhere with any any like um, specifications with four pets and not just pets but cats where like many airbnbs are pet friendly and then they specifically say no cats you know they're dog friendly they're not pet friendly (laughs) so four animals is a lot four cats is a lot a lot and i also had like a million specifications on top of that i was looking for solitude like i wanted to be in nature like I wanted to look out and see nature and not houses and not people on all sides all windows I needed to have a deck like a patio um balcony deck situation so that I can have my litter box set up outside which is the most epic litter box setup you've ever ever seen or known if you have any inquiry about that send me a message I will get you hooked the fuck up it's amazing life-changing if you're a cat owner trust me so Outdoor litter box, cats can go in and outside through a sliding door attachment, but they can't like actually get out because it's on a second floor. Um, Wanted privacy, so like no shared neighbors, like wall neighbors especially, but no like close neighbors. I wanted it to be far removed from like a city, like I wanted to be in nature, but it couldn't be like a writer's retreat type shit, which there's a lot of those. It needed to be something that was still like like modern to the point that I could do my work you know like I need to have fast wi-fi I need to have all these different things second bedroom so that I have an office because my cats fuck with my shit so a million and one things that would seemingly make it impossible I found the perfect Airbnb in Virginia oh the last stipulation is that it needed to be within driving distance to where Johnny was going to be in New York in Long Island where he was going to be to wherever I ended up renting, we agreed that like six-ish, maybe seven hours would be like the limit for what both of us felt good about driving in one day. Because we were still going to be long distance technically, but we were going to be drivable, which was going to be a different level. You know, we'd be able to see each other every other weekend or something, which would be great. So we both had to be on board with that drive time. The place I found in Virginia 
checked every single box, and then some. It was on a private fucking lake. (laughs) Every single thing I could have wanted. And it was six and a half hours from Johnny's house. So April, May, and June, for the three months that Johnny needed to be in New York, I was in Virginia with my cats, and we were working on our relationship. It was honestly a very trying time because I was having a lot of stuff come up for me in my business and a lot of personal shit, a lot of like dark night of the soul type stuff. So I was having money issues. I was having like, I was just going into these like deep fucking dark night underworld type phases for like a week at a time, week at a time. And when I look back now, even even now, just like a year and a half later, I look back and I'm like, damn, like I see the importance of that chapter of my life, but I just, I'm waiting for the time in like five years when I look back and I'm like, wow, it all makes sense now. Because <laughs> it was a hard, hard chapter. It really was. A lot was changing. A lot was energetically being like rewired. And so it was a stressful little three months for the relationship. It was really great to be that close to each other. We really, really loved that. But with that closeness, different things started to come up. Sex started to become an issue again. Because we had been only seeing each other every you know month or so and for very like intentional amounts of time, sex had been awesome. But then coming into this sort of like more casual, routinized, like we can just see each other kind of whenever, sex became, mm, what's the word? Kind of like less novelty. Like it was less like honeymoony and it was like, all right, how can we actually make things better? You know, and we'd start talking about that kind of stuff and certain desires were shared. I'm not going to get into detail about this because this is his business that is not mine to share. And I, don't, I wouldn't want to anyways, because it's, you know, part of a piece of the privacy that needs to be kept at least. <laughs> um, but he was sharing some things with me that we had started to explore before getting to Virginia. And then in Virginia, there was this like new level of expectation or maybe just desire from him to have these needs met. And that was confronting for me because it put it right in my face of like, hey, are you going to actually face this and get real with yourself about what you are okay with, what you're not okay with? Are you going to face all the people pleasing coming up around wanting to make him happy, around not wanting to like ruin your sex? Like all these fucking things were coming up for me on top of all my own like dark night stress shit. So it was a little bit rough. But we did have a good time. We did have a good time. It was a bonding experience, to say the least. It was like going on a fucking adventure where it turns into like a survival situation. And then you come out together and you're like, wow, we made it. Kind of trauma bonding, I guess. But it was, it was a bonding chapter. And it ended in us moving to Kentucky. So people ask me, how the fuck did you get to Kentucky? Um, the very direct and real answer is we basically moved to Kentucky for the bathtub that we had in the house that we rented, essentially. 
we were looking at a bunch of different places. I didn't want to go to New York. He didn't want to go back to California. Um, there were a lot of places we mutually didn't want to go. There were a lot of places we were both open to, but both had never been to. We had a very specific set of like filters for how much money we wanted to spend, what kind of environment we wanted to be in, what kind of neighborhood we wanted to be in, what kind of house we were trying to rent. Um, a lot of those types of stipulations and just one thing after another, it boiled down to Northern Kentucky, right outside of Cincinnati. That's where we ended up. And we spent the next nine months there. So that's the last part of the chapter before we get to the breakup part. And this chapter from July, 2022 to about, well, I didn't leave until the end of April. So July to April, but July, so like all the summer, fall, all the way winter through January or so was kind of the blossoming of our relationship to its completion. A lot happened in this eight months or so. A lot happened. And one of the things that happened very, very quickly into getting there was I got pregnant. This was actually the first night we got there. So Johnny is a good old boy, okay? He is like not reckless in any way and never has been when it comes to irresponsible ejaculation, all right? He's very, very, very good about it. No unwanted pregnancies, no unexpected babies in his life. I, on the other hand, just playing with fire, would suggest things sometimes like, come on, let's just, let's just do it once. Let's just see. Let's blah, blah, blah. Like I would just say kind of off the wall shit, mostly to kind of get a rise out of him. But there was a part of me that was like, also it, there was truth to it. You know, I also was wanting that in my life. Um, I was just being kind of impatient and like I- immature about it, you know, by suggesting it in those ways. So <laughs> something fucking overcame both of us this was the first night in the new big house that we were both super stoked about it was this very like light at the end of the tunnel moment we got there together after another like big car trip with the cats and everything from virginia to kentucky together like it was a whole it was a whole moment we were having sex that first night in the house christening the space and he came inside of me the only time he's ever done it ever. And I got pregnant. I don't even know. I wasn't, I don't think I was, I don't know. I don't know if I was ovulating or not, but I got pregnant. And that, holy shit, that was like a mother lesson. No pun intended with mother being associated with pregnancy. (laughs) That was like a master lesson for me and for him both. I really would like to know his thoughts on it now, actually, after, you know, over a year of reflection from that experience. I found out I was pregnant within a few weeks and immediately the only topic of conversation is what are we going to do? What do we want to do? Do we want to have a baby? Do we not want to have a baby? Like, what the fuck? You know, and... I 
I am not against abortion. I am not. I support it as as a resource. I don't judge it as a resource at all. And this time, I knew that it wasn't the right decision for me with Johnny. Because I knew that at the end of the day, regardless of what happened with our relationship, I could see myself co-parenting with him. I trusted him as a hypothetical father to my children. And that was all the assurance I needed to know that like my own personal desire for being a mom paired with my trust in him as a man, that is enough of a, of like a good recipe for me to take abortion off the table for myself. But I still wanted to know his thoughts and he had very similar thoughts. Like he's also not against abortion, but it was this like, not coming from a we have to place, like it wasn't obligated feeling at all, but it was this kind of like, this is a, this is a moment to step up and kind of like show up for what, what we did with like a level of joy in taking that responsibility, you know, like a moment of growing up and he, he was there, he wanted it. And so we wanted it. We wanted to have this baby Um, it was a very emotional and expansive couple of weeks every day when he would come home from work multiple days in a row, he like just started crying. We would both start crying. We would just be hugging in the kitchen for like minutes on end, crying and crying and just like talking about the future of having this baby together and, It was a really beautiful time to share together. It really was. And it was also very confronting for different reasons. For him, well, for both of us, but for him financially, he was not happy with his job, with his like life plan in that regard. So that was scary for him. And then it was scary for me because I just didn't know what we were doing. You know, like all of my like naive jokes of, oh, let's get married tomorrow. Oh, let's have a baby. Let's blah, 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 blah. There was truth in all of it. And now like there was no more fucking around. There was no more room for fucking around or joking at all. Like now it was real and there was no take backs and I had to face what am I fucking doing? What are we doing as a couple? Do we have shared plans? Do we have like the same ideas about what we want for the future with this child? Like do we both see our relationship in the same way as of right now? Are we on the same timelines? Like all of that shit got so real so fast Johnny started talking about how we could get married so that I could be like on his insurance through his work. Immediately that hit me like a fucking ton of bricks of like, holy shit, I have so much more awareness and understanding of myself and my relationship to marriage as a concept now than ever before. Because the idea of getting married for the sake of fucking health insurance 
just for the sake of like doing it right because I was having a baby. Holy shit. I can't even describe something more fucking repulsing, (laughs) like repulsive. Like that was just, oh God. It was this like full body freeze ick like fuck no feeling that I will never forget that was really sobering for me to stop fucking around with jokes about being pregnant and being married (laughs) in circumstances that I'm not confident can like actually do those things right then you know it was it was yeah, sobering is the right word. So that came up. It also was very confronting about like what kind of life do I want to have um, as a mother starting with with the pregnancy. That's where it starts, you know, starting with the pregnancy, starting with the birth onto all the many years of child raising, like him bringing up the stuff about insurance lit a fucking fire under me to get clear on what I wanted. And after deep, deep, deep diving down that rabbit hole, I am certain that what I want is a free birth, is an unsupported birth, is nothing to do with the medical system. And like, these were all things that just hadn't been sorted through in the relationship yet. And I'm sharing them like this because I think it's important to model how many things that are important do not get thought of when you talk about important decisions. You know, like literally the nitty gritty details. What is your vision of XYZ? What is their vision of XYZ to the to the T? Like getting clear on those things. Because if there's misalignment there, then Like in my case, there wasn't misalignment there. Johnny didn't know anything and he had a lot of questions, but he wasn't like, oh my God, no, we have to go to the hospital. Like he wasn't going to fight me on it. And so that was, that was good. But most situations, the guy's going to fight you on it, you know, out of fear, trying to protect. They're going to be like, what the fuck? No, you have to get an ultrasound. What do you mean? (laughs) You know? And so that's just an example. But like, imagine being in a situation that now is real. Like it's fucking game time. There's no way out of it. And now you have to have the discussion that makes or breaks things, you know? So the more prepared you can be, the better. And then tying back into what I said in the beginning about living together, like you also don't need to over overthink or over like sweat being prepared if you have a solid foundation of being able to trust yourself to handle, handle shit, you know? So... After the pregnancy, oh, well, I guess I should tell you how it, how it ends uh, since I don't have a baby <laughs> currently. I got pregnant late June when we first got there and then about six weeks later. So it was very early in the pregnancy. We'd only actually been aware of it for maybe three weeks. I had a miscarriage and... That was the last piece of this whole initiation that really made it clear to me that this was an initiation more than anything, more than just simply an accidental pregnancy 
like at face value, it was a deep soul initiation, full and full and full of lessons. And the biggest takeaway for me, I feel like this is a lesson most people could probably use, but for me, this is what it was, is specifically thinking about bringing children into the world, but really any major decision How conscious, how consciously am I making that decision? You know, because I had gotten clear in a surface level way that like, yes, I want, I want to have a family in my life, but I had never fully, fully investigated in my own self, my deeper feelings around it, you know? Was there a specific way I thought it needed to go or was I unattached? Did I want a lot of kids? Did I want not a lot of kids? What did I see my partner being like? How do I envision the process to go? Like, is it conscious? Is it unconscious? Is it a surprise? Is it something that falls in my lap? Is it something that I I am deliberate about from the beginning? You know, so it really put a whole bunch of new awareness on my plate and the major lesson from the whole experience was to do things consciously when it comes to building my life with another person. And so we had this miscarriage. It was absolutely devastating. I have a pretty important post about it on my Instagram. This was from July 2022. So July or August 2022, if you go scroll through my Instagram, you can find a post there. You can't miss it. I'm like horribly ugly crying in the middle of this miscarriage grief. Um, But it it was horrible. It was horrible. That was my first experience in the relationship of consciously being aware that the emotional capacity I had to hold space for Johnny was not fully reciprocated. Johnny was not emotionally unavailable as a man, like in the most like stereotypical way that we say that. Like he was not at all. He was very available. But when it came to his ability to just like hold whatever I was going through without needing to fix it or without making it mean something about himself or, you know, whatever, just literally holding clean space. I was able to do that for him more than he was able to do that for me, I would say. And, and we talked about that openly too. Like he, he, he would agree with that. And that was my first, like, it was a lucid moment. We were in the kitchen. I was like desperately grieving on my knees type of crying and we were, I was screaming at him because I was in deep in this grief pit. And he was just like, like, I couldn't feel him there. I couldn't feel him there with me. He wasn't there with me. He was there physically. He was present enough to like get through the day, to go to work, to whatever, like, you know, and in his defense, he was doing whatever he needed to do to cope with the shit himself. You know, I was completely fucking falling apart and that's how I was coping with it. He was completely um, dissociating and that's how he was coping with it. 
And in the moment, I felt so unsupported. I felt so alone in the grief because he was going through it differently. And that highlighted two things. My later on, I had this insight, not in the moment, but later it highlighted my like expectation, I guess, that he could just meet me where I was at no matter what. And it gave me some more like humility around that, having more empathy for what my partner or anybody else is going through when I'm asking them for something that I need. And it also gave me like in a not positive way insight about mine and Johnny's emotional connection. I didn't have words for it then, but I felt something off. I felt like a depth that I wanted to go to that I couldn't, I couldn't feel him at. And that was alarming. So the next three months after that, the fall of 2022, we just kept on keeping on, kept on doing our shit, living our lives. We got very complacent into some routines that were really not good habits for us, like nightly TV, um, dessert every night, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so um, we would talk about it often, about how negatively impacted we were being in our relationship by all this fucking complacency. Just coming from like, both of us having unprocessed things like things that hey weenie knock it off we got a little barking guest guest speaker hey okay she'll be good in a sec she'll stop in a second (laughs) all right so yeah we would talk about it all the time about how like not fully alive we felt and how we both wanted more of that and i think we just didn't know how to go about it together at least because we really had fallen into a rut as a couple and the good times which was a lot of the time a lot of the time was good a lot of the time was at the very least neutral you know it was sweet it was loving we were cuddling we were holding hands we were I was making dinner for him every night like it was a very um pleasant experience but it it wasn't passionate You know, there was no real aliveness to it because neither one of us was feeling that individually. So in November, maybe this was December, end of November, early December. Yeah, that's when it was. We went to an ISTA training, level one training together. So if you've listened to part one, which you should have, then you know what I'm talking about. We went to that same level one training. We went to one in Peru called spiritual sexual shamanic experience we were the only couple that was there in a group of about 30 people including the facilitators we were the only couple we were the only for sure we were the only monogamous couple but i think we were at least some of the only monogamous people at this event um and the the only couple So without all of the details of the week, because it doesn't even matter, I think Johnny and I disagree on this still to this day. 
he would probably tell you that Ista ruined the relationship or at least played a big role in that. That Ista like, like damaged him or damaged the relationship. I don't believe that. I believe that Ista, those seven days in Peru were traumatizing to both of us for different reasons. And I think that Ista, like a fucking wrecking ball, like destroyed everything that was on top of the truth of our relationship. All of the stagnation, all of the complacency, all the sweet nothings that we were just getting by on every day was fucking leveled to the ground in this week at Ista. And what we were left with was a very ugly, neither one of us wanted to look at it, like skeleton of our connection that it, it was pretty disheartening to see. It was like being forced to watch a horror movie or something. Like, to be, to be made to see <laughs> that much truth is fucking hard about anything. You know, like when a really important person in your life dies unexpectedly or, you know, some major life event happens where just like a cascade of things happen. It seems like all in one second, your whole life is different. And there's like a major aftershock period of like disorientation. Like what the fuck just happened? That's where we were both at in the partnership we were in it together still but we were very disconnected also because we were both fucking traumatized by that experience and not because ista did something to us like that's what i really want to make clear but because of what it exposed about us that neither one of us was prepared for it brought up a lot of it highlighted one of the main reasons that we ended up separating. So I would say that the reasons that we ended up ending comes down to like two or three different things. One of the main reasons is because we were at very different points on our healing journey. When it comes to like spirituality and different concepts, different like lingo, different experiences like we were both in the same world I would say he was even more in the world than I was like he's done ayahuasca for example I haven't he's done combo I haven't he um would attend community type things like sound baths and different pop-up workshop things like that a lot more than I would but we were both very deep in like in the spiritual world and as far as our own individual like healing journeys within that of going deep into ourselves and really getting busy, I had done more of it than he did. And so it really was a timing issue, I think, is what it, it could be boiled down to, to simplify it all, is a timing thing that like, I believe we have very aligned paths I believe we have very aligned 
souls, soul contracts in this lifetime. Very aligned karma. But I had cleared more out of myself, more of my own obstacles than he had cleared of his own obstacles. And when those two things overlap, like all the the holes in myself that like all the space that I had created in myself by clearing out this like darkness, it was very noticeable to constantly be surrounded by a person that would just kind of refill that darkness, you know? And I really say that in a neutral way. Like, this is not about blame. And I'm not saying that Johnny, like, made me feel sad or depressed or, like, like I was going backwards. Because that's not true. But the contrast of being around someone every single day that was still very much carrying and living through blocks that I had already let go of. The contrast of that felt like an uphill battle more as time went on. Because there were certain like edges that I had already crossed with mindset work or how I see the world or, you know, the wisdom around knowing when to just fucking shift your perspective about something or (laughs) things like that, that like they just weren't a second nature feeling to him. And so when shit would come up, it would take a lot more effort to move through it as a couple than it would when my shit came up. And I don't know if that's actually fully accurate. I don't know if he would agree, but yeah, that's kind of how I experienced it. It's like his problems. I just, I was more equipped as an individual to handle my own problems than he was equipped to handle his own problems. And that mismatch of personal responsibility became painful. That's what happened. So Ista ignited the breakdown, really. It was slowly happening, like the way that the Grand Canyon was formed slowly. It was happening just like one drop of water at a time, slowly eroding things. And then we went to Ista and it was like, okay, we're going to just dynamite the rest of this shit so that we can get to the fucking bottom of it. And then from there, we were left like in this fucking hole together. We were more and more disconnected. He was more and more in this kind of depression hole. And then the sex piece started to become more and more of an issue. And so I want to be clear, like without divulging his private information, I want to be clear about what I'm talking about. So I'm not so fucking cryptic that you're like, what the fuck are you even saying? Um, Part of my mission in this lifetime is very tied into purifying and reinstating the like God integrity of sex. Okay. That's a big part of my soul's path on this planet, this lifetime 
is to remove the distortions, the darkness, the pain, the density from sex, which in reality is something that is divine, that is one of the highest expressions of love, the highest expression of union, a merging of souls, and a pathway to healing and enlightenment. So that's my relationship to sex, okay? So just to kind of like use your imagination here to paint that picture of the long, very long list of things that do not go in the category of what I'm okay with, okay? (laughs) So, and keep in mind, this is me coming from almost a decade in the sex industry as a sex worker, literally a prostitute being paid to piss in a guy's mouth, okay? So this is not like some prudy type of holier-than-thou type of shit. This is legitimate Christ consciousness, like, light, capital L, light, is, is my agenda for sex in this lifetime, which I believe is why I had to go such down such a fucking extreme dark path with sex to come back in this direction, to have learned those lessons. So what Johnny was wanting, his personal desires that were very, very important to him because they had been repressed forever, fell into the category of things that I'm not okay with if I'm going to stay in integrity with all of those beliefs. And so that triggered his shame stories around things. It triggered him to feel like he could finally share his desires with someone, someone being me, and now that he finally got there, like it has to go back in this fucking hole because I'm not willing to like go there with him. And that would just spiral into this blame game, you know, of him feeling victimized, him feeling like he has no outlet, me feeling blamed, me feeling like I'm being made to be the only, like the only resource for him to feel happy. Like, a lot of blame, a lot of strings between the two of us with this topic. And for me, like, my sexual desires, on a physical level, purely physical level, I was satisfied. Like, I was was having orgasms every time. I was satisfied, physically. I definitely had a desire for more depth in the way that I'm talking about. Like, conscious, intentional, spiritual expansion and connectedness through sex I wanted more of that for sure but it wasn't this like thing that I had in the front of my mind all the time because I think on a deeper level I knew that it just wasn't available to me with him because he couldn't go there and if he couldn't go there he definitely couldn't go there per my request you know that that would be the opposite of what I was wanting That's not embodied sacred sex. That's an act. And where we really butted heads is he was okay and actually very interested in me doing what he wanted, knowing that I wasn't okay with it. But his perspective was that like 
he'd still want it because just because I knew he wanted it, you know, like that's why I was doing it. That like me not, it not being an integrity with me to do was less of an issue to him than me not being willing to sacrifice my integrity for him. So this is where like conscious relationships start to break down is when you reach a shadow in the connection that is too big to face together or too big for an individual to face then, you know? His, like, what's the right way of describing this? His lack of reverence for what he was asking me to do and how it impacted me is something that I don't think I could even fully wrap my head around. Like that was so much more of a problem for me than I knew at the time. In real time, it was just like, oh my God, how could you possibly want me to do X when I would never ask you to do Y knowing that you don't want to do it? Like, what the fuck? But this like really bothered me. Deep, 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 deep down bothered me. Because it just, this was maybe the second time. The first time being when I had that deep grief moment in the kitchen with him and he just could not meet me there. Really feeling the difference in our emotional, spiritual capacity This was the second moment of like, wow, we've had this conversation so many times and this breakthrough in my awareness that holy shit, you are willing to do something you don't want to do that goes against your integrity just because I'm asking you for it and you're prioritizing my happiness over your alignment To the point where that's like his natural expectation of me. Not even able to really slow down and consider how far off the path that is. You know, the path being like growth, enlightenment, soul ascension. Like we can't be out here feeding codependent tendencies in this like I don't know, glorified, sadist, masochistic, fucking, like, parasitic type of connection. And I'm not saying that's, like, what the sex stuff was for us, but it's, like, that's what it makes you think of, this BDSM world narrative that says if, like, if we're both wanting to be here, if everyone's happy with the experience, then it must be beneficial but I don't see it that way because sacrificing some of my own integrity to put a smile on his face and him being okay with that and then him being willing to do the same, sacrificing some of his own integrity to put a smile on my face and me being approving of him doing that, 
is a very immature, underdeveloped expression of love that doesn't require integrity. Because the person who's who's like in more of the taking role, they are like band-aiding this deep experience of separation or loneliness or isolation with the illusion that they can just kind of like absorb this other person into their power, making them feel worth something. And the same is true in reverse. The person that's more on the submissive side, that's being taken they're also getting off on the fact that they have no free will. They are outsourcing their power to being controlled the same way that the other person is outsourcing their power to the control that they have. Both of those things on the highest and deepest soul level are not right to me. They are not right. They are misaligned with God. They are not in alignment with Christ consciousness because they place our power outside of us. And different dynamics that Johnny wanted to play in, I had a soul level hesitation to because I can feel the lack of, of love playing out. And that's not something I'm willing to participate in. And so this is that point where conscious relating is a motherfucker and it's almost easier to like choose otherwise. Ignorance is bliss. Because when you consciously relate the whole time, then you're, you're uncovering obstacles in real time together and then dealing with them in real time together. And there's a chance that you might hit one that's a fucking mountain that you can't move. And you will realize that together. It's really fucking hard. Because... It's different than any other type of breakup coming from a toxic dynamic in the sense that you are truly choosing it together. It feels, I might actually cry talking about it, it feels like in the most like poetic sense, the last shared experience of love that you and that person will have. And the experience is, is the unraveling of your lives. And the bittersweetness, the pain, is that you make the decision together but you know that you can't 
come out of the process together. And bravely still choosing it. That is what makes a breakup conscious. Because the decision that this isn't working and we have to face the facts and the actual real life 3D ships of like changing your daily habits and not having the same routines and not sharing certain things with the same person anymore and physically moving and separating assets and all of the process that has to happen between like coming to terms with it and then it actually being done. There is a million moments every single day in that process for you to change your mind, for you to fight your higher self, for you to succumb to this pain, to want to sink down to that same level of that like BDSM style immature love where you are attaching to each other like parasites. It's symbiotic, but it's also parasitic where you're just both taking from the other to avoid facing the pain of what's actually going on. So December, we get back from ISTA. Hell of a fucking experience. I don't recommend it for couples. I really, truly do not. Um, unless you know exactly what you're getting into and what your purpose is going there for. And like your agreements need to be more agreed on than you think. <laughs> I'll just say that. So things continued to start deteriorating faster and faster in our connection and in ourselves. We were both gaining a lot of weight. We were both just kind of drowning ourselves in different things. I was smoking a lot of weed. He was like, he'd play video games and just like shit like that. Things that we were just numbing ourselves out on because there was so much pain going on and we didn't, like we couldn't, we couldn't easily face it. So this is where the breakup chapter starts officially. January rolls around. Our lease was going to end in the summer, in July. We'd been there for six months at that time. I knew that I did not want to stay in fucking Kentucky. Kentucky is like you got in a time machine and you went backwards past the point of where you'd want to go. And now you're in a place where people smoke fucking cigarettes in their cars with the windows rolled up. And like organic is a fucking punchline more than it is on the label and like yeah it's unbelievable if you really 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 give a fuck about gas prices to the point of like sacrificing the rest of your happiness for low gas prices kentucky might do it for you (laughs) if you care about your (laughs) well-being and conscious community kentucky might not be the spot (laughs) I'm being um, 
I'm being dramatic. Kentucky was cool for different reasons, but like not for the reasons that I care about. So, um, I was really adamant of like, I want to get the fuck out of here. Like we need to go somewhere else. This is desperately impacting me and I need to get out of here. And he was on a different wavelength completely. He was like, well, financially, it doesn't make sense for us to leave. So I'm open to us staying another year, maybe even two years, blah, blah, blah. His approach was like rationalize logic through it. Um, save money. Let's crunch the numbers. Let's, you know, like that was his approach. And it probably was the more responsible one. It really was. Mine was much more romantic and whimsical and very much like jump and the net will appear kind of style. So I'm thinking, I don't need to know how. Let's just figure out where we want to go and then decide. And then we'll go there. (laughs) He's like, but how? How? How are we going to do it? I'm like, well, it's just going to (laughs) happen. And that, that difference in how we would like plan things and like really get behind something was too big of a gap. It was too big of a gap. Like my ability to be, to have this like crazy level of blind faith and his fear of that was really, really conflicting all the time. So as they got time to get closer to thinking about where we might move, I started to feel the pressure just like growing inside of me. Like I have to get out of here. Even if it means the relationship ends, I have to get out of here. Like my soul was fucking yelling at me to leave. So one day I'm sitting in my office and I just got this like overwhelming urge to look on Airbnb that I had been looking at here and there and just like I'd look, scroll, close it. But this time I was like, okay, look, I looked, I wasn't even certain about going back to San Diego, but I had thought about it. I found a place, all the stars aligned, every single thing was perfect. And like within a couple hours, I rented it. I rented it for May 1st for nine months. That's May 1st of this year. This was in January of this year. I did this, I did this without telling Johnny. And I knew that by making this decision, I was not, I was potentially not going to have his support. It was potentially going to start the breakup, like legitimately, because I was at a breaking point where like my soul and all of my human comforts were pulling me in completely different directions. And this was like a go for it moment of like, okay, my soul is fucking louder than the rest of me right now. Okay, ready, set, jump. So I told him about it the next day, confessed because I could not like stomach the idea of knowing that I had this plan and he didn't, like that felt really fucked up. So I told him about it. It got a very mature reaction, actually. He was very conscious about it 
Like he, he told me about both sides of it. How like on one side, he's thinking like, wow, fuck you. How could you do this? Like, you're just leaving me. What the actual fuck? And then on the other hand, he's like, yeah, okay. I also understand. And like from the highest level, you should go, you know, like this, that makes sense. And so the next four months, three months, four months was, well, actually, so by the end of that week, after I made the reservation and I told him about it, by the end of that week, we had come to the actual final decision that we were going to break up. That I was going to be moving to San Diego on May 1st by myself. And that he was going to be staying in Kentucky. And it was final. So when we agreed on that, we did it knowing that that meant I was going to be living there still for the next three months. So three months when you're going through a breakup in a shared household with somebody you are still very much in love with, but on a soul level, no, you can't be with those three months go by in fucking microwave minutes. (laughs) This was another big initiation into patience, trust, surrender, huge, huge, huge lessons in surrender. And basically for, for three months, we just danced back and forth between being completely numb together Completely just autopilot survival functioning, doing our shit, same thing every day, and completely being overtaken by grief together, where we would lay in bed at night and just cry. (laughs) We would just cry and cry and cry and cry. And every, I don't know, three days, five days we would come to the same conversation in some deep pit of grief of like, does this really have to happen? Do we really have to do this? Is this really what's best for us? Because look it, we don't want to be apart. We don't fight about everything. We have all of this alignment. And then we would start working against the decision and we would start trying to sell ourselves and each other on how we could make it work. And every single time it would come down to the same same conclusion that if we were going to be actually loving each other, really loving each other, that would require us to be in integrity with ourselves that would require us to both be happy individuals who were not actually willing to sacrifice their happiness for the relationship the conclusion every talk every talk we had no matter how fucking painful it was and all of them were was truth over comfort Growth over comfort, self-love over the love of others. Because love of others that exceeds love of self is not actually love of others. It's abandonment of self.
So painstaking three and a half-ish months. And then it got time to the end. And I left, drove across the country with the cats. And by this point, I had a dog as well. It was one of the hardest days of my life was leaving because we were we were in it together all the way until the end we knew we were breaking up and that we weren't going to spend our lives together but we were still very much in love and on each other's teams So, a lot, a lot of teamwork, (laughs) paradoxically, went into getting me ready to move. And then when I did, leaving that day, watching him say bye to the animals, saying bye to him, saying bye to the house, it was horrible. It was horrible. And then I drove for 40 hours with five animals to California. And I learned so much over those 40 hours that I spent probably 90% of in complete silence. When I first got to San Diego, we were in contact a little, like over texting and stuff, just kind of like, I made it here, made it there. I think we were both in sort of a shock We couldn't even really go into the whole, like, I miss you so much. Can't believe it's real. Like, we were just in shock. So, a couple days of me being in San Diego, we were talking. And then we had a conversation where we decided to go two weeks of no contact just to see how we felt after two weeks. Because this would be the first time in over two years that we had gone even one day with no contact. So two weeks, no contact at all. We agreed on it. This was in May. At the end of the two weeks, we had a six-hour long phone call. And we decided to try one more time. (laughs) We took another little short break of no contact And then wanted to talk again. Like, I think it was another two weeks later. So all by about June, June 1st or so was the first week of June was the last conversation we had. It was another five or six hour long phone call. Really, really sad. And it was us closing the doors 100%. Because in the time that we spent not in contact, nothing had changed about the reasons that we decided to break up other than our opposition getting more like set in stone. So the main reasons that we did break up, people have asked me this, a bunch of them, a bunch of people have asked me this. Main reasons is number one, Healing journey differences, like I said before. Like I 
am just at a different place in my healing journey than he is. And or maybe I just have a different pace that I am comfortable with or that I desire than he does. And that's okay. But there is no way around it that doesn't completely sacrifice the other person if we were to stay together. So that's number one. Number two is sexual incompatibility. And there's been many times throughout the relationship that I would have told you that that's like a really untrue thing to say, that we are very sexually compatible. But when we got really, really, really honest about our deepest desires, our deepest craving for the kind of experience we want to have in bed, we're not compatible right now, at least. And so again, facing that meant coming to peace with it, that it's okay. It doesn't mean anything good or bad about you or me, but there's no way around it that doesn't sacrifice one of us. And in a relationship where we are both dead set on both people feeling loved and happy and having their needs met in integrity and alignment with their soul, We loved each other too much to ask the other person to sacrifice themselves in this way or to that degree. And then the last reason that we separated is because this kind of goes along with the healing journey, different timelines, I guess, different pace of things, but... Just slightly different different desires for the future. How many kids, um, money, lifestyle, that kind of thing. I think, honestly, I personally believe we are actually a lot more aligned on those things than we both thought by the end of the relationship. But because of how buried we both were by our own stuff that had come up, thinking about our compatibility with like future kids was <laughs> was so far down on the list that like it just seemed it seemed out of alignment and so money kids timelines me wanting to continue to do istas potentially him being completely a hard no those were some of the non-negotiables and i think it's really important to name that non-negotiable is called non-negotiable for a reason. You know, do yourself the service of actually meaning it when you call something a non-negotiable in a relationship. And actually meaning it looks like upholding that standard in a way that you will not let it fall. If that means you require certain things, you have to communicate certain things, you need to ask for certain things, then that's what it means. And if that's not an option, then you have to take yourself out 
of whatever situation you're in that prevents you from from that freedom, that prevents you from being in integrity with love. Everything else than that is is settling, is is self-sacrifice, is self-abandonment. And truth doesn't go away as time goes on, you know. So I empathize, I understand, really I do, why we ignore red flags in the beginning or slight incompatibilities that might actually be huge because of a million reasons. (laughs) We're flooded with chemistry, we're flooded with hormones, we're excited, we're playing into fantasies in our mind, or we feel like overnight all of our childhood needs are going to be met, and that creates all this attachment. Like All this stuff comes up that really wants us to think favorably about how things could go. And like I said, I encourage that hopefulness but it has to be grounded with a commitment to truth over anything else. A commitment to truth over fun, over comfort, over pleasure, over everything. Because the second you don't have your truth, you don't have anything. Really. The second you don't have your truth, you are playing a role in somebody else's movie. It's no longer your life. You're still here for it, though. And living your life that is not feeling like your life is the fucking guaranteed recipe for misery, unhappiness. So the counterintuitive wisdom here is that sometimes the pathway to happiness is through a lot of pain is through grief is through a disintegration of a part of your life or yourself usually both that doesn't feel good but in the name of truth you can trust that it eventually will You can trust that it eventually will because truth is the only thing that's worth fighting for. And I say some words interchangeably. Truth, love, freedom, all of those things mean the same thing to me. Even the word God is interchangeable with those things. Truth, love, God, light, freedom, source. All of it encompasses what I see as like the essence of you, of me, of every human here, of the life source that we all come from. And when we're playing out shitty fucking relationships, even good-ish tolerable relationships, where a part of our truth is being dimmed or dulled or hidden or repressed or straight up fucking stepped on, what the fuck are we doing? You know, that's not the life your soul came here for. I bet everything on that. (laughs) So 
this has been a marathon episode and we're going to finish it up here with three questions because I asked for Q&A if anybody had any any inquiry, any questions, curiosities, thoughts about this that I would answer at the end of the episode. And there were three submitted, so I'm going to answer them right now. Okay, Q&A, here we go. So disclaimer is that I have read these questions one time at least, like over a week ago when I wrote them down onto the piece of paper sitting in front of me to just kind of help me keep the timeline of things straight. But I do not have any premeditated thoughts for these questions. So we're going to find out what my answers are together. (laughs) All right. So number one says, how do you prevent the breakup? Okay. Good question. Immediately I have like six different answers in my head, conflicting answers in my head, because it really depends. My answer really depends on like what level of consciousness this question is being asked from. Like if it's just a straight up lower level of consciousness, straight up fear of going through the pain of breakup, like if that's all it is, if that's where the question's coming from, how do you prevent the breakup? Implying how do you prevent the breakup because I'm afraid of it and don't ever want to experience that? My answer to that is you don't. (laughs) You don't. Um, because preventing the breakup doesn't actually help you, you know, that whole question implies that you're gaining something by preventing the breakup. What would you be gaining? Hypothetically, would you be gaining a happy, healthy, fulfilling relationship? Or would you be gaining something that just keeps you complacent and kind of comfortable and like in a little fucking cat and mouse chase and you feel better about that than being alone because you're deeply afraid of being alone you know because I think that that's where this question would be coming from for most people is like just purely fear of being alone and fear of heartache if you're afraid of those things then You're afraid of their opposites as well. You know, if you're afraid of true aloneness, and I don't mean loneliness, like a longing that creates pain, but I mean purely time by yourself. Like if you are afraid or have resistance to aloneness, then you will also have resistance to a certain depth of connection with another person. Wherever you bottom out with your ability to be alone, you'll also have a glass ceiling with your ability to really connect. And same is true, same is true for everything, really. But also if you're afraid of heartache, and so you walk through mouse traps and eggshells in this fucking laser course all the time so that you are not doing things that you think could rock the boat or risk heartache, then you are also definitely holding yourself back from the full, complete experience of love, of heart opening, heart expansion. Can't have one without the other. So 
To answer this question from a higher level, how do you prevent the breakup? Assuming that the breakup you would be trying to prevent is with a person that you are consciously relating to, they are consciously relating to you, you guys are actively building a foundation for a lifelong partnership without using each other as band-aids for your own unmet childhood needs. If that's the kind of relationship we're trying to protect here, then my answer is you prevent the breakup by not avoiding the details. When it comes to getting to know somebody, if you want to get to know what they like to eat or how, they, how their diet plays a role in their life, a few simple questions might come to mind automatically. What's in your fridge? What do you like to eat? Do you eat breakfast in the morning? You know, some general questions. And then at some point you might feel like, oh, okay, cool. They answered X, Y, Z and now I know how they eat. And then you're out at some event and you bring them a plate and they completely reject the plate and then you feel rejected and it turns into this stupid fucking unnecessary conflict because you didn't know some specific deeper nuance about how or why or what or when or whatever that they ate based on like assuming that you did know that is where unnecessary conflict happens and that's where breakups can be avoided by staying curious always staying curious because like you're a whole entire human being with a whole bunch of moving parts and so is your partner and so is the relationship there are three entities involved it's not just you it's not just them and it's not just the two of you it's all three And in that, in that case, all three things have to be treated as equally important, which means never, ever getting too rigid about what you think you know about any one of them, okay? Your relationship and your own self-existence both are organic machines, you know, organic Things playing out, unfolding, firing and misfiring. (laughs) So never fool yourself into thinking that you're so solid in your relationship that there's nothing else for you to learn about the other person or about yourself and how you connect to the other person. All right. Bada bing, bada boom. Number two is do you want to get back together? Hmm. Okay. I like this question. I'm glad somebody asked it because I imagine multiple people have thought it and just weren't going to ask it. So (laughs) do you want to get back together? I mean, that's my question that I want to know for everybody after they break up, you know, always in a gossipy e-channel way. Oh my God, are you going to get back together? Do you miss him? Do you miss her? Do you wish you could get back? (laughs) So for me, do I want to get back together? I kind of have multiple answers to this one too. Um, I do not in the sense that like, 
I've had some epiphany and I feel very clear that Johnny is the specific person that I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life. And like, I'm willing to change in all the ways that I would need to change for the relationship to work. Assuming he hasn't changed in any ways, you know, um, I'm willing to move those mountains and like, that is the connection that I'm here for. No, I cannot say yes to that, but I have had a couple contrasting experiences with men, very short lived fling type things in the last couple months, two different men and It's been very eye-opening and has brought up some grief around Johnny that I thought was already done with. So through the contrast of these other experiences, I have been like made more aware of how much of the relationship with Johnny was actually exactly what I wanted. There was a lot of it that was not right, which is why we ultimately went separate ways. But there was so much of it that we did get right. And having compassion for myself and giving myself permission to reflect in that way where I'm like holding space for for it all, holding space for the nuance, allowing myself to feel whatever the emotions are, grief, sadness, longing, missing, desire, all of that and still being able to recognize that like this emotional experience is not a reason to go running back and like try to undo everything that we consciously did you know so in times when I do have those moments when I'm like oh man I wish It's never really a thought of like, oh, I want to get back together with him. But it sometimes is just like a a longing for like comfort, a longing for the comfort zone that we very much had together. And in those moments, what I say to myself and what I'll say to you as well, if you ever run into that, like wanting something back that you once had that didn't work for whatever reason, remind yourself in those moments that it didn't work, you know? (laughs) remind yourself that it didn't work and that at one point or another you chose there's so much power in those words you chose to no longer be in that connection so in a fleeting moment when you feel pain and immediately want to seek relief I understand, I empathize, I feel it sometimes of wanting to reach for what I know as relief. But I always remind myself in those moments that I don't know my greatest relief in this lifetime yet. I have not met the best people yet. And that's true for you. That's true for everyone, I believe. There's more. There's more. There's more. So when it feels like you're, you're at the bottom, 
and you're missing every single thing that you could possibly want or need and something from your past pops in your mind as a simple solution because it has at least a portion of what you feel like you're missing and you know it for for certain, do your best to lean on the wisdom of your higher self that chose to say no before more than you lean on the wisdom of your past self and what you have experienced. This is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to inner work. Really putting your money where your mouth is, acting the way that you say you will or say you want to when a wave of conflicting emotion comes up later. You know, it's like when you say, tomorrow I'm going to start my life over. I'm going to go to the gym at 5 a.m. and I'm going to lift fucking 12 weights and do 12 exercises. I think that's a lot, right? I don't know. I'm going to do 12 exercises and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to like start eating raw vegan, even though I've eaten pizza every night for the last year. And like that shit just doesn't fucking work, you know, because within, I don't know, 48 hours, (laughs) if that you hit an emotional wall that tries to tell you a different story that says, uh, actually, this shit sucks. This is fucking hard. It's way easier to just do it the way you used to do it. Why don't we just turn around now? <laughs> Why don't we just head home? <laughs> so do I want to get back together? No, I don't want to get back together because although I am tempted and I miss him, for very genuine reasons. I am more tempted by what I don't know yet than the comfort I could go back to. And I could not have said that in the past. So that's a big, big testament to my growth as well. All right, now very last question here, and then we are going to wrap up this marathon-ass episode. This has been super long. If you're still here, if you're still listening, I love you. Thank you. Very last question says, how do you balance accepting people as they are with trying to grow through adversity? Okay. Okay. I'm sitting with this to process what this means. Okay, how do you balance accepting people as they are with trying to grow through adversity? Okay, so essentially what I'm hearing in this question is like, how can I let my partner, how can I leave them the fuck alone and love them anyways? And also uphold a standard of we need to grow together. That's what I'm hearing in this question, which I can very much relate to because there's been plenty of times in my relationship history where I've been at that same crossroads, mentally, emotionally, where it's like, how much, it's like there's, there's two parts of me, of you, the person asking the question, of everybody that I think have to be honored equally. One of those parts is the part of us that wants to grow, 
The part of us that literally needs to keep moving. The part of us that's like our, uh, the, our inner shark. You know, if you stop, you die. If you're not growing, you're dying. Tony Robbins says that a lot, I think. If you're not living, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're dying. Like the part of us that on a soul level has this little flicker of a flame that cannot be put out and as a default has a requirement in committed relationships to feel a sense of growth with that person. So that's one part of us. But then the other part of us that might be conflicting at times is the part of us that like think like the infant part of us that is so deeply connected to our, our oneness, to our divinity, to our perfection, to the temporary nature of this life, to like, it's like the infant and the elder all in one is kind of how I see that archetype that is within all of us. The part of us that is just so close, I guess that's like those two times in our life are very similar when we're first getting here and when we're very close to leaving here newborn and really old, they're both at times when our connection to not this world is the thinnest or it's, it's the strongest, the veil is the thinnest, you know? And so it's like when we, we have this innate connection, this knowing that like none of this really matters, you know? So it's like if your partner always wears an orange fucking belt that you hate, because you think it's ugly, but it makes them really happy. That's probably something that goes in the category of like, you just fucking accept it. You just get over it. (laughs) Is it, does it, is that the hill you want to die on? You know? So that's a silly example because it, it quite literally doesn't impact you. You know, if your partner wants to wear orange fucking belts forever, no matter what else they're wearing, who cares? Who gives a fuck? Maybe you give a fuck. I don't know. I wouldn't give a fuck. (laughs) So that's something easily, okay, that's something I don't like, but we can put that over there in the I accept you anyways pile. Love you. Mwah. Your stupid fucking orange belt, but I still love you. Easy. Then there's something that like easily goes in the other category of like trying to grow through adversity. So like, let's say you have a mutual goal of, cutting out dairy for example maybe dairy makes one of you fucking have digestion problems and one of you your skin breaks out or something like that so that could look like maybe one of you really likes ice cream and one of you doesn't really care for ice cream but wants to put cheese on everything so one of you might have a really easy time cutting out ice cream while the other person is like desperately struggling with it and vice versa. So that's an example where you have a mutual goal. The goal is both an individual benefit, but you're able to do it together where you're growing in your connection as you grow through the adversity individually. Okay. And that's where like the uniqueness of your experience has to be honored just as much as the shared pain or struggle that you're going through. So that's where you get to really like finesse and, and become masterful with your balance between like empathizing with somebody's pain and also not letting that be an excuse for why they don't 
keep growing, right? It's like maybe my partner is dying without ice cream and I'm doing totally fine. So instead of just being like, oh, come on, you'll be fine. Look, I haven't eaten ice cream in two days and I'm good. Knowing damn well that that's not my deepest struggle, like that would be fucking rude. That would be insensitive. That wouldn't be a real partner move. But I also wouldn't want to say something too far to the other side of like, I'm so sorry you're having such a hard time with the ice cream, babe. You know, I'm not going to judge you if you if you just have a little bit because then you are advocating for their weakness. And that's not what you want to do ever, right? <laughs> so there's a very fine line between empathy and advocating for weakness. And I think that's what this question is, is like, what's that line? How do you just purely empathize and unconditionally love another human being's unique life experience, seeing it as separate from yours and like, you know, just as, just as valid? And then where does that line meet requiring people to get on your fucking level? So like the dairy thing is a mutual ground because you had a shared goal. But like let's say one person needs to stop drinking and the other person is completely sober already and like has already been on that journey for a while. So that's something that could be a big conflict where one person could see it as you need to grow and the other person could see it as you need to you need to accept me you know and that's where i think a lot of the issue really comes from is so let's see this answer's kind of coming out rambly and sideways and it's fine because this is long as fuck so i've surrendered to that already um but as this is shaping itself, here's my answer. There is a line between being empathetic, unconditionally loving, and indulging someone in their fucking bullshit. And then there's also a line between like holding standards and requiring growth in your relationships and from your partners and being domineering and bully, bully energy. And like just straight up not accepting judgment. So how you kind of toe that line as a couple to balance the positive pressure for growth with the healthy expression of unconditional love and acceptance, I think... A key here is for each couple in each unique situation to consciously discuss this and decide, okay, from which side of the line are we trying to approach this? Because I think where issues really happen is when you're approaching it from opposite sides and don't know it, you know, like there's a problem in the middle in between the two of you. And one person is saying that thing has to change in order for us to move forward. The other person is saying that thing has to be accepted in order for us to move forward. You're seeing it from different angles and you'll never see it the same. So to balance accepting people as they are 
with also wanting them to grow is to consciously navigate those individual processes as a team by saying, hey, you know what? That thing that you do every morning is really fucking annoying to me and I think it's a horrible habit and and you should stop. And then the person doing the habit is like, well, you're a fucking asshole and you should stop judging me and that's what I think. Then it comes time to have that decision, that discussion and come to a decision of like, okay, what's going to help us as a team the best? Can I look at it from a place of acceptance? Let's try that on together right now. Take me into your world. Okay, we're done here. Now, can you try to look at it from a place of change and growth and come into my world? Okay, now let's discuss that. How did it feel for you to think about changing this? Does it make you feel not accepted? How can we bridge that gap? Okay, how does it make you feel to think about just purely coming to terms with this? Does it make you feel fear that I'll never change? Like, does it make you feel out of control? You know, and that's how you get to the bottom of the fears and the actual things that are coming up for for people when they start to act poorly. When they start to get defensive, reactive, resentful, distant, anxious, it's all coming from a deep desire to be loved, to love, to be loved, to be accepted. And so the balance of accepting people and growing with people is allowing for a lot of like human error and human messiness in the conscious navigation of it. Yeah. If we want to go even deeper here, higher, deeper, the <laughs> maybe the flaw itself is in the question of like, there, maybe there isn't a balance and that's the balance, you know, is to stop trying to mechanically navigate relating. Because that, honestly, the energy of the question does still feel kind of tied to, to like achievement culture, you know? Um, like in an over-exaggerated way, I wonder if it could be rewritten as like how much unconditional acceptance do I need to tolerate in order for a person to grow with me? And if that's where this question's coming from, then, you know, maybe the flaws in the question itself. Like I said, that like the idea of balance is often coming from a deeper root of wanting to do something right. And the deeper root of wanting to do something right is outsourcing a sense of self-worth from what you do or do not do. And how you do it. What if we abandon that completely and declare you are worthy, period. Everything you do or don't do is an extra. And then coming from that place, like that question feels completely different. It feels like it's not even a question. You know, it's not even a thought you would have in the paradigm of like we are innately worthy. Because then it wouldn't be personal at all. There would be nothing to balance. It would all just be love. 
which I don't, I don't know is actually, actually doable in the (laughs) simple way I'm making it sound, (laughs) but yeah, that feels really important actually that like, I think all sorts of like balance questions come from a root of patriarchal conditioning and outsourcing self-worth and wanting to perform something well. Yeah. So, whoa, that one just took my mind for a loop. Didn't expect to get all philosophical on you. And I'm just going to call it here. We don't need a big outro. If you're still riding with me, thank you so much for being here. Really. I appreciate the fuck out of you. I love you so much. Johnny loves you so much. (laughs) He always supported the hell out of me with all of my creative endeavors, including the podcast. And this podcast was recorded with his permission and his consent. And I wanted that to be, that was a non-negotiable for this because we have moved forward, but there's still a sense of togetherness. And I think that that's something that can really be preserved and is really special about conscious breakups is that they're uniquely painful. All breakups are painful, but conscious breakups are uniquely painful because it's an open-hearted pain. It's a pain that comes without blame. It's a pure pain that, you know, it's, it's a mind fuck to know that you are loving yourself by, and loving the other person by making a decision that feels so horrible at the time. So deciding being brave enough, courageous enough, and loving enough to decide to make that decision before the love spoils, before the conflict starts to tip the scale and you lose the sweetness between the two of you completely, being brave enough to call it before it gets to that true, like, rotten expiration point, that is a gift that you can give yourself for the rest of your life because you will always have that memory, like a photograph of the relationship, like frozen in time, that you treated it with such care, such honor, such reverence, that it deserved to be preserved. You know, the specialness of the love that you shared and all the lessons it brought to you was worth enduring the pain you went through to walk away consciously in exchange for being able to keep that memory the way it is. Because what most people do and what I've done plenty of times is hang on too long, too tight to the point where you end up just ripping each other apart because you're trying to hold on unconsciously breaking up by being ripped apart ripping each other apart in the process when you can kind of 
touch the other's face and kiss them on their forehead and give them a hug and hold their hands and let them go without having to be ripped through that process, through circumstance, through drama, through toxicity, you will grow in a way that I cannot even describe. And in a way that I don't know many other outlets for. This is real soul alchemy. Conscious breakups, man. Motherfucking breakups. Whoo. Hmm. Okay. That's my wisdom. If any of this touched your heart, made you think, made you laugh, brought up questions, made you mad, let me know. Send me an email, hannahspanky at gmail. Send me a message on Instagram, Facebook, wherever. And do whatever you do for podcasts, you know? Helps keep the show going, helps keep me reaching more people and in flow with the message and spreading the love that we're doing here. Keeping it real. Help me do that by liking, sharing, subscribing, turning on the little bell. You know I don't know how to delegate these things to you. (laughs) Someday I'll learn. All right. I love you so much. Thank you for hearing my story. And I will see you next time.